This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Sharon and Eric Lopez. And we welcome you to this edition of the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Uh, I'm Eric Lopez, alongside Kyle Nash, everybody else, apparently. Still trying to figure out if they have power or not. I know uh, Jeff may not have power as we talk, but thanks to Nicole. Uh, Drew is just working, so he's why he's not available. <laughs> and Bryson's a- away from the uh, town, so it's just you and me, Kyle. Hey, you know what, though? It's still going to be a-, a fun time all the way around. We don't have to remember all of Drew's nicknames. And, uh, you know, if if we happen to talk about spreads, Jeff won't get me- get mad. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No. Exactly. Um, uh, yeah, you can follow us. Everybody did well in the storm yeah, too. Uh, every, hopefully, well, everybody did all right, especially on the coastal line and the coastal. That that really got hit pretty hard uh, over there. Luckily, me and Kyle are in inland, so we were not too bad. Uh, but hopefully, everybody else is coming up. Uh, we'll break down the big football game this Saturday in Nolens with the new Tulane and UCF top twenty-five matchup. Who's going to start a quarterback? I'm going to ask Kyle because Gus wouldn't give the answer. Uh, we'll also preview youth basketball seasons underway. We'll talk about the men's and the women. Uh, plus, I'll also break down UCF women's soccer making the NCAA tournament. Well, why didn't they host? I'll break that all down. Coming up on this edition of Black Eagle Banneret. Of course, check us out at blackandgoldbanneret.com for all the latest. Of course, follow up. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Subscribe to the YouTube channel and follow us on your favorite social media devices, folks. Let's get going here, uh, Kyle. Let's talk about the football game. UCF, obviously, in Tulane. Big game, top 25. Not college game day material big, but still big. Um, (laughs) They'll be in Austin for TCU in Texas. And based on social media, Tulane hasn't really uh, taken that one very well. That's their problem. Uh, But what we do know is that both teams are in the top 25. The winner of this game really takes a huge step into not only getting to the American Athletic Conference championship game, but possibly hosting, whereas the loser might need some help. Uh, UCF coming off the win over Memphis, 35-20. Let me start with that, Kyle, because you did not get a chance to be on night shift uh, with Drew and Bryce and myself uh after the memphis game so i'm just going to give you the platform what's your quick thoughts now that you've had some time to reflect on the memphis win you know this is one of those uh games where we absolutely reflect reflect two things that were already proven true a at the time well actually i should say three things a at the time he was asked to start john rice Plumley was the correct choice b these skill players are so good eric lopez oh my gosh and c this red zone defense thing just got a lot more real. Now, granted, it was cute when you and I had the great response, Drew, as well, to, to those who might have been over-optimistic about this defense in the red zone in particular. Well, that's great when it's South Carolina State and this team and that team. Doing this against Memphis isn't uber impressive, but it's more impressive and really has put a stamp on this game. Elo, with the mistakes that Mikey Keene made early I believe he's going to need to tap in some of that NIL money to afford the beer that he owes the defense for bailing him out, sir. Well, expand on that. What, as far as the defense bailing him out, uh, obviously you're speaking of that early interception where Memphis had the ball in the red zone. Memphis didn't score in their first three red zone appearances. Uh, UCF defense, I'm assuming that's what you're referring to. Yeah, when he comes, when they come away to a team, by the way, in the previous edition of the Black and Gold Banneret podcast, Jeff pointed out that the UCF defense doesn't typically do well 
creating takeaways. And when they needed it to get Keene out of trouble with the early interception, I believe that was in the red zone, by the way, or within, sorry, not in the red zone, but uh, within UCF territory so that the Tigers were in the red zone. Here comes that tip ball, you know, the, the, the whole circus, whatever snag eventually that would fall in the hands of Devon Wilson. Or was it Devontae Brown that got it? I forget which. I think it was Devontae. Um, to snag the interception and, like I said, bail Mikey out. Remember what made the Pirates game go wrong, Elo. The whole situation in ECU was those early turnovers that made it turn sour. The difference here, defense got the turnovers and got the ball back, and Mikey recovered, whereas JRP didn't. So UCF ends with the win at Memphis, uh, up to, in the moved up in both the polls in 22. Of course, on Monday, Gus Melzon had his traditional media availability, and it didn't take long for the media to ask him the biggest question in the room, the elephant in the room, shall we say. And, of course, I speak of, hey, coach, what about the quarterback position? <laughs> So gotta ask, what's the quarterback situation heading into this week? Yeah, who's the starter when we know? Yeah, we'll we'll uh, we'll, we'll play that day by day and uh, and see where we're at. What's going to go into that decision? Is it health? Uh, you know, really, just what what field gives us the best chance of winning. Uh, both guys, like I said, we got two two real guys. You know that, and everyone knows that, and that's a great luxury. Not just a care of business on the road. How much is it safe to say uh, that ECU was that wake-up call, and how much is that uh, going to be helpful, not just for this past game, but leading into two late? Yeah, yeah, that was a learning experience like we talked about. Uh, we responded well on the road. Um, there was some a, a lot of ups and downs last week. Our guys responded like champs, and uh, yeah, it was a pretty good environment, you know, too, at Memphis, and our guys found a way to win. They, they'd won a whole lot of games at home. Some coaches think that uh, you don't uh, sit a player because of an injury. During your coaching career, what's been your philosophy? On yeah, that? it just depends. Every, every situation is different. And, uh, you know, when you have a head injury, obviously that uh, is different within its own right. Just, you know, you, you protect your players. You make decisions that you feel like is best for them and your team. And that's what we do. There is good <laughs> smells on, folks. I kid you not, I, I did not edit any of that. Three, Kyle, you were trying to throw him a lifeline. You were you were the only one. You were trying to – you deviated from the quarterback position. You asked about the road win and how ECU kind of helped them prepare. Everybody else, Brandon Helwig, Jason Beatty, Trace Trelko, basically asking about the quarterback position, and Gus didn't budge. Well, listen, and, and with respect to my colleagues, if you thought he was answering that question, apparently they're going to need to legalize weed in this state. No, listen, I joke, but – yeah, he wasn't going to budge on that. And from his perspective, I understand it. And listen, we were actually talking about it before he got there, how he's kind of using that as part of a a strategy, if you will, an element that Tulane doesn't know who's starting. Listen, I'd rather not have my quarterback with a head injury either. I get that if I'm a coach. But if I can use it to shroud what was going on, I'm going to do that. So <laughs> with all that in mind, like I really part of it, I believe, is they're not really sure what JRP's uh, situation is. You as a Dolphins fan can understand that within this state, extra scrutiny is going to be put on you when it comes to head injuries. Heck, the, the um, women's basketball even had to, to deal with that. When yeah, Taylor we'll get into that. We'll get into that, that later on. Yeah. Upcoming stuff we'll talk about there, no doubt.
So I think Gus being a veteran guy is using it to his advantage. I deviated not because I wasn't interested. I knew he wasn't going to answer the question. And who knows, maybe if I kind of take him off and then, you know, one of them can get their answer. I, I don't know. I, it's, I was kind of self-serving and being a team player at the same time, but that all being said, listen, I walked <laughs> in that room knowing he wasn't going to answer that question with anything other than day by day, because if he knew he was going to start, he would have declared it in his opening statement. So who would you start? If it was up to you, who starts Saturday in New Orleans? I think health dictates that. I really do. Um, so, you know, in this situation where you have a guy, if, if, if the scuttlebutt is to be believed, if you believe you have the guy who is your starter in the room already, and you're expecting or hoping or guessing that he will be the starter to make the leap into the big 12, this one head injury situation, you don't want too much craziness to go on that. Not to mention the last thing you need is for there to be scuttlebutt in how you coach the team when you're about to jump into the power five. There's a lot of big picture implication here. The American Conference Championship is a great thing to have as you're going to the next level. Fans want that. You want that. It looks good when you're jumping into that because now PR matters more in college football than it ever did. And TCU's in the top four without hiring a marketing firm this, firm this year. Who knew? But the punchline is this, Eric Lopez. If you take JRP out and you don't get to the conference championship, what you have saved yourself from is scrutiny and any sort of controversy surrounding the health of players and how that's looked at here at UCF. Why can't both play? Like I would play both. I would play, I would start Keen, who's played well, especially with the passing game. Offensive lines play better. But I would also play JRP and give him a package because you know Gus loves those packages. He's not yep. going to stop running those. I think there's room for both. I personally think both will play this Saturday. That I don't know anything, but that's because, man, if you – I mean, Keen's played well enough to where, man, if you bench him now, go back to JRP, and if he gets off to a bad start, I think a lot of people are like, what did we do? I think it's easier if you start Keen and bring JRP off the bench, personally. I right. actually, honestly, I thought that's how they would start the year. They didn't. They chose not to do that. Um, well, you, you know bring, what, we've talked about. The that, offensive right? line. Right, right. Turns out the line issues was an issue, but I, I would play both. Yeah, and listen, man, my, my guy, Eric Lopez, the Duke of the Diamond, throwing in the concept of the off-speed pitch, nails it here. Absolutely. Of course, playing both of them is an option. You said starting. That says to me I have to narrow it to one guy who's going to come out of the tunnel first. But absolutely, if JRP is healthy, there could be an opportunity for both guys to play. Throw them completely off. If the perception is that they're two completely different offenses when they step on the field, which I really don't think the difference is as big as advertised, it's just a matter of the percentage of success that you're going to have in one set of plays with another. You're going to do better running with JRP. You're going to do better passing with Mikey Keene down the field. I get that. But at the end of the day, these skill players are so talented, Eric Lopez, that if they're given the opportunity and the quarterback doesn't screw it up, right, all you need to do is manage the game, they're going to take care of business. And we've seen that on how many tight ends in the country this year have hurdled dudes. I'm sure it's more than just Alec Harler, but it's not a lot. Doesn't seem like a lot. And I look, here's my thing. I think if you win this game, with respect to Navy and well, no respect to South Florida, uh, they're, they're going to win those two games, regardless of who plays quarterback. Right, right. To me, I, this is the game you've got to hit the right quarterback. I think you can pick the, quote, wrong quarterback against Navy and South Florida and still win. 
Whereas this game, if you pick to make the wrong choice, it could cost you the game. It could cost cost you the conference title game. So I still, I think there's room for both because I think you do bring up a good point. I do think John Rice Plumley. I think the, the the staff believes he's the guy for next year. If Thomas is Castellanos, it's either him or Thomas Castellanos. And there is, I do agree with the theory of, hey, you got to play for net. You got to have your quarterback ready for next year when you go to the Big 12. I do believe that because it gets real and it gets serious next year. And you're playing for a, 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 a playoff, a conference championship. And by the way, even if you don't make any of those, the bowl games in the Big 12, bring much more money than what the current deal is so i think it's much more relevant next year however you are in a position here to possibly host a conference championship game if you win out and i think this is the game where you've got to be right about the quarterback and that's why i think you play both i do think you play because i think they both can help you win against a tulane defense you know for all the talk about ucf's defense here kyle they're the top defense in the in the american that's a that's a that's a fair point. Uh, and listen, I'm taking nothing from Tulane here. To to be entirely clear, they you know I it's I'll put it this way: Willie Fritz has been has continued to improve this team, and then he hit the pandemic and had to kind of reset. But you heard Gus and the players at the weekly presser say it when we were coming off that field after, uh, you know having a close game with them, we knew that next year they were going to be a problem. That's what I know. Gus said that. I know at least one of the players said that it, it might've been Holler that said it. It might've been, uh, well, what concerns you about Tulane? What's the concern? What do they bring to the table that, that could be, could, could present UCF some problems here? I mean, you mentioned the defense. They're an experienced bunch, you know, like I feel like, and I haven't done the side-by-side comparison, you know, right down the roster, but it feels like, as experienced as UCF's DBs are, their entire defense is at different levels, right? So you might have a, a new guy thrown in here or there, whereas UCF's defensive front is Tremont Mars Brash and Jeremiah Jean-Baptiste as, as advanced, like, aged guys. And that's basically it, you know, as far as returners to the program. I know we have some transfers that are older than that, but I digress. Like, for me, that's going to be the difference. You're, I don't think you're dealing with a receiver core that's tried as, quite as tough as, let's say, in East Carolina. But Pratt at quarterback is a lot more balanced than Holton Naylor. So there's there's a lot of balance. It's hard for me to really think about how Tulane would hit UCF because they don't necessarily have a pronounced strength, Elo, right? Playing ECU, you knew they were going to sling the ball because of Holton Nailers. Playing Cincinnati, you knew they were going to try to pound you on the ground and then beat you over the top when and where they could and couldn't in the case of UCF for the most part. But yeah, with with Tulane, it's that balance that's scary. They can hit you a lot of different ways, and their defense, I agree with you, is underappreciated. Pratt's a mobile quarterback. It's a dual threat. Uh, Right. And UCF hasn't seen that since Malik Cunningham, and we saw the problems that Malik Cunningham presented uh, to UCF. I don't think, though, Pratt's at the level of a Cunningham. I think that's the good news from a UCF standpoint. And look, Tulane, it's been a nice story, but I also still skeptical about how good Tulane is. I mean, here's who they've beaten. UMass, Alcorn. They won at Kansas State. That's a good win. Lost to Southern Miss. Huh? Beat, I mean, beat Houston in overtime, yeah, which was a big win. Beat East Carolina, held ECU to nine points, then blew out, beat South Florida, gave up 31 points to South Florida, uh, beat Memphis, and then won at Tulsa. 
their schedule is about to get harder. They're UCF, then they've got SMU and Cincinnati. Does Tulane? Uh, I think the pressure is on them to win this game. They're at home. This is the biggest home game since the you know seventy some years. They're ticked off because college game day is not there. They did a they did a mock of a mockery of a game day when they announced their jerseys. I guess for you, and I get it. if I was them, I'd be upset too because uh, you know who knows they might be the only chance they ever get to host game day. Uh, yeah. But there's pressure on them. And whereas UCF, they've played in these big games before. I think that does help UCF in this case. Oh, hundred percent. And and you know, you 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 beat me to the point. Like I feel like with this game, they can technically afford to lose it and still do okay with a shot at the conference championship. Um, if UCF should win out, the, they still if if both te- if if Tulane loses and both teams win out, Tulane all they've given up is the opportunity to host the conference championship. They're not out of it. And heck. If they win out and UCF falters somewhere, they still have the advantage over the remaining two ta- teams in SMU and Cincinnati to still host. Right. So, you know, uh, there, there's it, UCF needs the game more, period, point blank, end of story. That ECU game, again, continuing to haunt UCF in yeah. its own way. But it all doesn't matter if UCF wins out for them, right? This is well, and this is the one for UCF. They're right. You're right. There's pressure on both sides for UCF. If you lose this game, you're probably going to be out. You're going to need some help. Something to keep in mind, Tulane has a good back named Spears, 762 yards rushing, averages five yards of carry, 10 touchdowns uh, for them. The receiving core, you mentioned, is not as explosive, but they're very balanced. Uh, D.D. McDougal, 23 receptions. Jaquan Jackson, 21 catches. Deuce Watts, 21 catches. Uh, Pratt does a nice job of spreading the ball. Exactly. You know, uh, which is fascinating. You know, he's not going to, you know, so that'll be an interesting test for the secondary. Uh, how do you think... How do you think Travis Williams will approach this uh, two-lane offense? Does he blitz more? Does he play? I mean, do you see any different changes on the UCF defensive side? Well, see, here's what you're looking at. What really makes Pratt dangerous? I mean, sure, he can run, and he's a ba- they got a balanced offense with a coach that's able to put together a good scheme, you know, throwing different guys open, and is supported by an excellent back. However, it, it, what you need to do to disrupt all this, you know this, Elo. It's a matter of finding the weakness and the protection up front, exploiting that, and make the quarterback make a bad decision. I don't think uh, uh, T. Will changes a whole lot in his defense at all, right? As it is, it's a bend-don't-break strategy. Keep everything in front of you. Don't give up the big plays. And when it's crunch time in the red zone, hold them down and keep them out the end zone. And I think you're going to see more of that here. And if the if the, the pass rush gets to Pratt on the way there, more power to the defense or put them in a situation where they make mistakes with penalties somehow, you know, that's that's the kind of stuff that benefits. And that actually that's the kind of stuff that kills offensive drives is when you get penalties for a defense that's waiting on you to make a mistake. Defensively for Tulane, Doria Williams is the name to keep in mind. 72 tackles to lead the team. Six and a half tackles for loss leads the team. Four sacks as an interception. The guy's a playmaker. Nick Anderson, not to be confused with Nick Anderson of the Orlando Magic. Four and a half tackles for losses. 69 tackles. Interestingly, though, Tulane only has 14 sacks in nine games. They're not a big pass rush team. That's been what's been interesting about their defense is. So I, I think if UCF's offensive line here, Kyle, again, it goes back to them, right? They play well, give whoever the quarterback is time. I think the offense can have success. Well, here's what I'm looking at, too. Don't be shocked when Bowser starts the game. He's going to be in there, part of that extra protection element to stop attacks like that from the linebacker and also to make the second level available 
um, if there's an opportunity where there's a design quarterback run, regardless of who it is, by the way, Eric Lopez, because we've seen that Mikey Keene is not JRP. I won't ever think or ask for Mikey Keene to return punts jokingly, as I've done with JRP in the past. That being said, you have a guy who can carry the ball like Bowser while also being a good enough fullback to open a hole for him to do so. Don't rule this out. It's it's a very funny thing. And then over and above that, the pass protection. You know what? If Bowser gets NFL snaps, he's going to get it on the strength of his protection. That's the stuff that the versatile running back gets paid in the NFL. And it's a wonderful thing to see that what but what Bowser's doing it for all the advocacy for RJ Harvey, who's a great back. He's done well, there's room for both to get touches. Absolutely. And they will. But he's going to start with Bowser. If they establish a lead, that's when you'll see Harvey come in to clean up. UCF Tulane, 330 kickoff on ESPN2. Anisha Roth and Brock Osweiler. Interesting. To call the game. Well, hmm. first there. <laughs> you see him I mean, too late on the dudes. Did you ever cover Brock Osweiler in your NFL uh, cover? I know, during- did. He actually came in when, when Tannehill got hurt during the tank for two a year. We had to put stock in Brock was what I said. Yeah. Granted, I sold my stock in Brock back when he was drafted by Denver in the first place. But who knows? Maybe uh, maybe he has a, a, a lot better rates for his stock as an analyst than a quarterback in the NFL. Well, Who knows? well, maybe I'll ask you about that on night shift after the game. We'll have night shift myself, you probably drew uh, will be on there uh, for UCF to lane three thirty kick uh, on ESPN to make a note of that as well as of course night shift on our YouTube channel as well as on our social media, Twitter, Facebook will be live after the game for the big one UCF to lane. Will UCF be a step closer to the American athletic conference championship game or will they need help? We'll know after this game. All right, we're gonna take a break. When we come back, Kyle and I are going to talk a little hoops. College basketball season underway. UCF bat men's. Some some concerns after the opener. We'll break down men's basketball. And then the women. The Cynthia Messer era gets underway with a win. We'll break down what to expect from both teams and questions. All that coming up as you're listening to the Black and Go Banneret Podcast. Welcome back here to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Eric Lopez along with Kyle Nash. Uh, basketball, college basketball season is underway. Both the men and the women got underway on Monday. We'll talk about both and kind of share our thoughts for the big picture this season since with the weird Monday start. And then, oh, by the way, Nicole popping in. We didn't get a chance to just focus on basketball and kind of give a preview thoughts. But partly, maybe it worked out, Kyle, because... A lot of these, a lot of new faces on both sides. And on the men's side, boy, there's a lot of men, uh, new faces. Obviously, a wild, wacky uh, Monday nighter against UNC Asheville, where they lose 98-95 in double overtime. Uh, but as we found out, Kyle, UCF was shorthanded. They were without Darius Johnson. They were without C.J. Walker, which we knew going in. And they were without Ty Freeman. That's their three experienced guys yeah. who all were probably going to start. Um, so you had literally... Everybody that played on use for UCF on Monday was brand new. And they faced a UNC Asheville team that literally had a as upperclassmen. I mean, I think the majority of the roster is juniors or seniors. They including their big South player of the year, Pember, who was unbelievable, scoring 40 points in the game. A tough loss for UCF, uh, Kyle, but I, I can't really evaluate this team because they're not even together yet. Like I like some of the individual pieces, but I don't care who you are. You're losing when you're missing three guys or probably you were going to be three starters, especially 
we'll say Johnson and Walker were definitely starters. And I think Freeman might have started because of his experience. And nobody talks about but he brings that defensive energy that whew, they were lacking on Monday a little yeah. bit. I think that hurt him a lot. You had a lot of you guys. Obviously, we'll talk about Taylor Hendricks and the positives. But to me, this team is an incomplete. Um, and I'm not going to evaluate this team because I, I they're not all the pieces. All the pieces aren't together right now. No, and that's a great point. And, and listen, for my money, Eric, what I what it comes down to for me when I'm looking at the stat sheet, like I, I wasn't there for all of it. I saw most of the game, not all of it. I was uh, analyzing the women's game um, and got to be able to catch some of the end of it because it was a double OT. But listen, for my money, what was it I said to you before the game even started, Elo? You asked me what I was concerned about, and I answered the size in the middle, right? C.J. Walker not being there, already a huge blow, and now they're coming in with Pember. Listen, there's a reason he scored 40, and I mean no offense to Michael there, but uh, at the end of the day, I, I don't think their strategy was to be throwing, you know, um, th throwing Ithiel Horton and anybody else they could add him to help out, right, you know, or, or um, any of that group. Uh, in there as well, because uh, and no offense to Taylor Hendricks, his job isn't necessarily to mix it up and battle down low either. He's going to be going around. He's going to be slashing. He's going to be attacking. Uh, think of him more as a shorter Dirk Nowitzki kind of type in my mind. Right. So with all that in mind, who's left to battle Pember, you know, so. Well, they were thin, right. They were thin. I mean, let's, yeah. let me, you're playing Thiermo Sila. You're playing Lahat Sion. Six right. minutes got in the Utah transfer. You're right. They need C.J. Walker back. They're hoping to get C.J. Walker back soon, maybe as soon as Florida State, maybe not. Who knows uh, on that, whereas Darius is a little lengthier of an injury. But let, let's talk about this roster real quick. Taylor Hendricks is, to me, the bright spot. Let's talk about him. Yeah, 23, I, 23 points, five boards, yep. uh, three blocks, two steals. He was the, He's the highly touted recruit, the, the highest-rated recruit ever in the Johnny Dawkins era, ever in UCF basketball history. Man, he was fun to watch. He got off to a slow start as you you know, he's trying to figure things out. But once he figured it out, he figured out. I, I, to me, that's exciting. I think when you look at UCF basketball this season and some of the storylines following Taylor Hendricks maturation will be fun to watch. I think he's might he has the potential to be the best front court player, both offense and defense that UCF's had since Keith Clam. That's a statement. And, and listen, I'll I'll say that and and raise you this. First of all, like. Well, not even a first of all. I'll just say this: the scuttlebutt at, at, at uh, Hoops Media Day at UCF was don't expect Taylor Hendricks to be around for more than two years because he's going to be leaving. No, no, not the transfer portal, folks. The NBA. That's the thought right now. Depending on who you ask, around uh, around um, the the campfire there, so to speak. So, yeah, and, and you know, I'll put it this way. C.J. Walker's presence is going to be great, too, because he's such a, a versatile player. And by the way, does Pember even – does Pember score 30 points, 25 only if C.J. Walker's on the floor? It's a very interesting thing to examine. Yeah, no, Walker's a big, big part of this. If you put Walker and Hendricks up there in the front court, it's a whole different story, and I'm looking forward to seeing that whenever that does happen. Brandon Suggs, the ECU transfer, 16 points. I love his aggressiveness. I think he's a nice addition there. Uh, Ethel Horton played, got nine boards, 12 points in 44 minutes. You know, I like some of these individual pieces here, uh, Kyle, and I think actually, believe it or not, if they can get these guys healthy, and that's a big if, as we'll get into later with Darius, if they can right. get this group together, I actually like this group maybe as a whole 
better than the team in last year as a whole. You could say, well, they're not as experienced or as talented, but as a whole, I think they fit better once they learn how to, once they're all connected and playing together. The question is, when does that happen? I don't know, but I I liked, I actually liked some of the pieces here. CJ Kelly off the bench, 20 points in 34 minutes. Uh, I like some of the individual pieces they have here. Oh, certainly. You know, I mean, listen, to to say the least, this group as a whole is better just on the general fact that I think we got more guys that can create their own shot, right? So you mentioned CJ Kelly with 20, and he did that missing eight threes nonetheless, imagine if some of those connected, right? You know, he was the reason why CJ Kelly's going to be so big on this team. And and don't be surprised if he makes his way into the starting lineup sometimes, too. The look at how much he got to the free throw line compared to the rest of his of his counterparts. Fifteen t- times to the uh, uh to the um free throw line. Excuse me. Fifteen shots at the free throw line total, and C.J. Kelly has six of them, and he made them. You know, so it's elements like that that are going to make the biggest impact. How much that on both teams, frankly, but the men's team depended on free throws and keeping the turnovers down last year was amazing because they did as a team they didn't shoot as well as this team does based on this albeit small sample size right so i'll put it this way they don't have to feed it to darren green to get any sort of long shooting going or hope you know a darius perry heats up they have multiple options that you got a young guy like Hendricks who's already contributing you had I'm counting five people in double digits and two and 20 points. And Jalen Young nearly got to double digits himself with eight. That is diverse scoring the way Johnny Dawkins basketball is meant to be played. Yeah, I think offensively they were fine, as it turns out. Defensively is where they had the issues. Johnny Dawkins even said that after the game. He didn't like the lack of communication on the court defensively. Um, I thought they missed some assignments there. Uh, but part of that, I think it goes back to loot, not having Walker, not having Freeman, not having Darius Johnson and sure. that experience. And Johnny Dawkins, obviously Darius Johnson, the surprise. Nobody saw this coming until the warmups. I should have known. I was at the women's game and I noticed Darius was in street clothes and I'm like, well, is he going to dress? He's got to dress soon, doesn't he? Oh, no way. He's not playing. Uh, Johnny Dawkins addressed Darius Johnson uh, injury after the game on the post game. Uh, Darius, Darius is still, I mean, he's injured. I mean, he's going to be out, you know, for a little while. You know, he has, he has a lower leg injury. He's going to be out for a little while. He, he is going to be back. And, uh, you know, and, you know, he definitely be back, you know, before we play conference play. Uh, but we'll see what his status is. It's just how, you know, how he feels as he continues to rehab and get stronger. But uh, it was just a freak play that happened that, uh, that set him back. Nothing, no one could do with basketball. You know, people run into each other all the time, and sometimes they don't come out as well as you would like. So, but I know one thing. You know, he's going to work hard and come back as fast as he can because that's who he is. And so, uh, yeah. But but while that's going on, we still have to find a way to win. We have to find a way to be successful. And uh, we had an opportunity tonight. I don't think we seized it. You know, coming down the stretch, of the, like you said, coming down the stretch of the last three minutes, we're up. So we put ourselves in position to win. We have to figure out a way to close games in those situations. That was Johnny Dawkins talking about not closing the game out, finding a way to win without it. Looks like Darius out a little while. They hope to have him back before conference, but still, that's a big blow. That's a huge blow, Kyle. And I, I it's you just hate to see that because I do think Darius makes a difference. He's the point guard, and really, it leaves UCF thin at the point guard because Jalen Young is the only true point guard right now that is playing. The redshirt sophomore to Dallas, Texas, transferred out of Baton Rouge Community College. 
after that, when he came out of the game, you kind of he kind of had to experiment with a Horton and guys that are not natural point guards to play. So I think Johnson makes guys like Hendricks better. He makes it just makes the, and he's the leader. I think the communication would have been better. Man, I just my 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 jaw my I just felt bummed out when I heard that about Derek because we all enjoyed Darius and what a great freshman year he had last year. And you could tell I rewatched the game on plus afterwards because I was at the game. I went back and watched it back because I'm preparing for the FSU game. Uh, you could tell it's it, the Darius. It's just it's eating them up that he can't play. Oh, of course. If you talk to this guy for any length as we have, you know he's just. It's less it's less about me having seen how eaten up he was and more about seeing how excited he was at both AAC Hoops Media Day as well as UCF's Hoops Media Day. He's into it. He's all about it. Um, you know, talking about helping Taylor along in in, in uh, preseason activities and all of that. They actually spoke of each other fondly, frankly. So, uh, uh, you know, just to 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 I can only imagine how bad he's feeling about it and listen what you say about Jalen Young, folks, there's a reason why dude had 43 minutes of t- playing time in a double overtime game. I'm just saying. Yeah, no, that's a tough, 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 tough spot there uh, for him. for that, Without question. So, but they're going to have to find a way. They're going to have to find a way to play and um, without Darius and get by. I mean, the schedule doesn't stop. Uh, but, and, and by the way, for those that are like freaking out about the loss to UNC of Asheville, you realize there's already like an opening night alone in college basketball. There's like 13 upsets of teams. Like, for example, oh, by the way, Stetson knocked off Florida State, who's UCF's next opponent. You had USC losing to Florida Gulf Coast. Uh, I mean, this is college basketball, and teams that have experience are going to have an advantage over a team that doesn't have the experience, like a UCF, especially when UCF is shorthanded. And that's not an excuse, that's just reality. What was fascinating about the Florida State deal, because that is the next game, Friday night, as we talk here, as we record this on Thursday afternoon, it is still on. Uh, Florida State comes to town. They're young themselves. They have to replace a lot of personnel, and they will be – they lost to Stetson, who just, you know, outshoot them from the perimeter. Big win for former UCF head coach Donnie Jones. So this all of a sudden is an interesting matchup, Florida State and UCF, because both teams are young, trying to figure themselves out. And, oh, yeah, Florida State has a familiar friend, Kyle, that we know very well, don't they? Sure, they're going to be watching Darren Greed closely. Chuck it from the cheap seats, right? I, I don't know who the best defender is, but you better bet they're going to get a lot of work out on the perimeter making sure that Darren Green shut down. I might even suggest throwing out a diamond in one at him. How about that? There's some lingo. Well, boys. he struggled against Stetson. It'll be interesting how he handles coming back to UCF. UCF's coaches know him very well. So, you know, there, there's that little gamesmanship there. Uh, but Florida State's very young. So I think these are two teams, Leonard Hamilton and Johnny Dawkins, who I think have similar philosophies. They want to play defense, uh, intensity. Neither of them really play well defensively in their openers. Florida State missed a ton of free throws. Uh, I'm really looking forward to that game, 7 o'clock Friday night uh, from the arena. But let, big picture for UCF here, Kyle. I mean, wh- I don't know what's a realistic goal or expectation for this team, especially with missing Darius Johnson for a, you know somewhat of a period of time. Um I just don't think it's hard. I think you just got to let this team grow. I think to me, that's what it is. Is you hope these young guys grow, especially Hendricks, and you build it, you get Walker back, and you get Freeman back, and you get Johnson back, and, and before conference, and then you know you're ready to go in conference to compete. But I, I can't. I don't have any. I don't think there's. You know, I can't have real. I mean, it just. It's an incomplete. I can't until I see this wrong. I can't. Like, how can I evaluate this team? Right. And listen, if I'm an American athletic conference coach, that's not Memphis or Houston, where I'm clearly going to outmatch UCF when I play them. 
Um, I'm concerned at the end of the year, and I'm hoping I'm getting them sooner than later on the schedule. If I'm getting them later on the schedule, I'm going to use it as an opportunity to prepare for them in the tournament when I come across them again, because this, I know it's one game. This sets the table for UCF to be underestimated and come tournament time, assuming they come back to health and swing into their the upper end of their potential, they might find themselves winning a couple rounds in the conference tournament. Better than last year's team that all they had to do was knock off USF, mind you. But at the end of the day, I think this is a group that could scrape together some conference wins, make some noise. I'm not saying NCAA tournament, but don't rule out an NIT. Well, here's uh, the thing. Bring some cohesiveness. That's a big part of Coach Dawkins' philosophy. And I think for UCF, you're not a – that's the key to being successful is you build a nucleus. What 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 made this – pro when they got to 2019, what helped was you had B.J. Taylor, Taco Fall, and, and that group together for a period of time. And they had health. Remember the year before in 18, everybody was hurt. Aubrey right. Dawkins missed the whole year. Taco Fall missed half the year. B.J. missed half the year. So there, there's, there's that. I mean, I think – you look at this nucleus, a Hendrix and Young. You start there, what, you know, and then you go from there with the other young guys that they have. Uh, you're building that towards the Big 12, and then you bring another recruiting class that hopefully will, will improve with the being in the conference. But, you know, that that's how they're going to be successful. This ain't going to be built overnight. You're not going to be, you know, and I think the thing that was disappointing, I think, to Coach Doc is he had a 10-point lead late, couldn't hold it. That's the, But that's youth. That's youth, and they didn't defend. They're going to have to defend better. Uh, to win these games. Because uh, I do think they have some options offensively. I think they could be pretty good offensively, especially when they get Darius back. Yeah, and let's, and let's give Asheville some credit. Like, we talk yeah. about we talk about the defense being an issue, but I, again, I stress how on earth, what did they have to silence Drew Pember? And once they started collapsing, you know, that's when Tay John Jones got busy. It, it, you know, he they had two guys with 20 or more. One was Tay John at 20. The other was Pember at um 40 so you know at, at that point what more I, i'm i get that coach dawkins was disappointed but again when they're abusing you down low with pember that's what but yeah you, I, I think walker makes a difference walker was being the best defender low post that's a great point yeah that's Inside, a great point. he's the he's the he's the guy uh i think he he makes them better defensively i mean it just is so you know we gotta wait and see incomplete i think it's there's going to be some growing pains, but I like some of the, I really was surprised by the, what I saw. Cause you know, you don't know what you got, you're seeing coming in. And I was encouraged with what I saw from some of the individuals, despite the result. And look, it's college basketball. The UNC Asheville's beating UCF is more common in college basketball than it is. And we got to stop this too. For fans, you cannot compare football to basketball. That's not, it's idiotic. Uh, there's two apples and oranges. College basketball, there's way more teams that care about basketball as far as like UNC Asheville, they, they invested that they, they care about basketball. Everybody cares about, it. it's not like football where there's a, there's a gap in roster talent, basketball, because of guys departing earlier because of the transfer portal, there's much more even playing field in where a Stetson can go in and beat Florida state. A UNC Asheville can beat UCF. A Florida Gulf coast can go and beat USC out West. Uh, among others, results like that. I mean, that's just a handful. There were like 13, 14. Louisville, look at who Louisville's lost in the first two games. They, they lost to two teams. They're like, what? Um, that's college basketball in a nutshell now because there's so much youth and uh, constant and roster have, turnover. They may not have the excuse of injuries either. Now, granted, to Coach Donkin's credit, Pember did eventually foul out, but 
I don't know that these other instances, Elo, ha- were missing this nucleus that you were talking no, about. I agree. Uh, before that men's game, and um, we had women's basketball. Cynthia Messer's debut went well as UCF women's basketball blew out Winthrop. Now they were supposed to play Mercer. That got scrapped due to Nicole, which once means once again, Kyle misses Mercer. And I know you were looking forward to that. Uh, but let me ask you, you've obviously now seen this team more than anybody. Nobody has seen you, uh, this team more than you. You were there at the exhibition against St. Leo, and you were there against Winthrop. Uh, your thoughts now on the women's team and what we can expect this year. Listen, the versatility came more than what I even interpreted as the TMSer promised. Sure, you have guards at 6'1 that shoot three-pointers. <clears throat> sure. They're chucking it 30 times from three Elo. They made 11 of them. And you know, the team under coach say may not shoot 11 threes. I think you said in a week, I might say a fortnight, depending on what stretch of games we're talking about. I don't know, but I don't know that they'll make 30 all year. If they're coached by coach Abe. And here we have 30 loosed in one night. Even coach Messer said, wow, they love the three, you know, but I'll put it this way. There's a lot of movement. There's still some miscommunication that's pretty obvious, but we also heard Coach Messer relate to it as well in the form of all the injuries they're facing. Nate Hutton missing um, just as one of of, uh, a handful. And for my money, Elo, I'll put it this way. This group isn't just a team that can chuck it. They can also play solid defense, right? Uh, Rangel Rangi, who may have only had six points, but it was the first two uh, scores of the night also was the second highest in rebounding. Of course, we all know Destiny Thomas had the most in rebounding with a double-double, but they had four players, Elo, in double digits, two of them on the strength of chucking it from the cheap seats, okay? With this particular aspect in mind, if that doesn't spell versatility, I don't know what does. And hey, give credit to some of these players who held on, right? Ashton Verholst, who's coming off the bench was an a product you didn't see her actually get any action to speak of not a uh, not any sort of slight against her game but i think that's because you had that much talent and experience starting at the time uh under coach hey so there's a lot and by the way true freshman brianna hardy thanks to all the injuries comes in leads the team in scoring and she's not shooting threes folks she's bumping around in the low post late in the game brianna hardy hardy gets an and one first second person actually after angel ranky to to congratulate her as none other than destiny herself so it was an amazing thing to observe just all the versatility that this team has to offer however one thing that i know Coach Messer slammed on because she answered it in one word when I asked her, what is it you'd like to see this team do better? Turnovers. <laughs> you yeah, turned it. it over 26 times. Well, uh, yeah, they, they only turned it over 23 at St. Leo and then got worse the next game. Yeah, that's a lot. The real, that's test, a lot. The real test for this UCF team when, they, when it comes down to it, though, Elo, I want to see what they look like when they play somebody with size. It's going to be interesting to see. Well, let's talk about it. they have a couple injuries you mentioned already. Uh, Asia Todd out with an ACL. They have two players out with an ACL injury for the season that Coach Messer mentioned in the post game. So there's their depth has been already challenged here a little bit here, Kyle. Yeah, you mentioned Asia Todd. Actually, for for my money, like I think that's an uh, that's not that's not even the injury that that Coach Messer was referring to. I came to find out later. Um, there was there is another player who up on her Instagram that I saw thanks to Stephen Leonard. 
on Twitter there <laughs> had had announced <laughs> had announced that um sorry about that had announced that she's um done for the year and it's um Morgan Robinson and Wegu. I had to look at Very it good. Me. I was waiting to see how you get that one there. Guys. Okay, hold on. I want to make sure I see it spelled before I give us a shot. I'm not the PA guy like you and Jeff are, so you practice. I'm definitely that. not a PA guy. Jeff's the PA guy. See, this That's is true. where Jeffrey, yeah, Jeffrey could help. You're you calling right. the games. You're you're still broadcasting. You got to get names more right more than I do. Lately. If I get asked to fill in on the women's side, I'll definitely definitely be uh, hardcore on that point. Yeah. There you um, go. But the but the punchline is like um she was expected to be a starter. Nay Hutton was expected yeah to be a starter. Tay Gibson had a concussion. She left that uh that game late to have Brianna Hardy finish it, if I remember correctly. And I'm sure I'm forgetting and oh no, yeah, you mentioned AJ Todd already. So yeah. we're good there. So there's your four, right? Yeah. And and you know, granted this put Ranky in the start starting lineup. Um she was a double digit scorer in the exhibition. She had 14 instead of uh, Brianna Hardy and of course Hardy coming in first regulation game that counts, right? As a freshman and she was absolutely excited about it. So they will now go to Campbell uh, next week, next Tuesday, to play on the road. Then they come back home the following Tuesday to host Louisiana Monroe. And ironically enough, Kyle, you'll be in Louisiana on your way to Louisiana while women's basketball is hosting Louisiana. Hey, yes, it's uh, because in-laws, man. The, don't rub it in. <laughs> Maybe you and Mercer, you know, you should have just told Mercer, can you just flip the game to play in Louisiana? Because I'll be there anyway. Uh, <laughs> no, tell the brother out, man. <laughs> right? But other notables, they'll be at Auburn December 3rd, at Tennessee December 14th. To me, the big question with this team this year is, how does the, quote, rem- A players, the remaining players that from last year, like a Destiny Thomas who had a double-double, others, blend in with Messer's players? If they blend in well... I think this team will surprise. I think this team could be a top half team in the America. I think they actually, but you could buy them low in the conference. I don't think the conference is anything special. Uh, I think South Florida is the team to beat. But after that, I think it's wide open. They can move up if they mesh. And we don't know if they mesh well or not. We'll have to see how they play together on the court. If they fit, the pieces fit. Or if it's one of those things where they don't fit and transition and you just, it's more of a transitional, it's a transitional year anyway. But I'm, that's to me, Kyle, how does those group of players fit together? Well, the evidence is that it's been strong too, right? Layla Druitt had a three in the other game. And, um, you know, when you have Asia Todd in the starting line, lineup at one point, that tells you anything. And if I got to explain Destiny Thomas to you, Elo, you're not paying attention. <laughs> but you do bring up a good point. What size do they have? behind destiny thomas what if destiny thomas gets in foul trouble right because in the past that was what made the last couple of years so successful is they had depth right you had kaba you had Brittany, you had destiny thomas off the bench i don't get a sense they have that this year well actually as as a team they're quite a bit taller now granted again the not, maybe not proven though maybe not proven at this proven point. is where we're at yeah listen taylor gibson is gonna uh, have her impact as well you know i get it that not everybody is destiny thomas she's she's a, a, a complete other animal but you know if ashton has to be asked to work low she can do that she has the size for it though she may not have necessarily as wide a shoulder base as destiny does she's tall enough to, to mix it up in there too uh taylor gibson has a good build she can battle down low she was excellent at times uh granted in the exhibition against saint leo so uh, obviously desto is the main force no one's gonna hide from that but 
I, I, and listen, when Nay Hutton comes back, I think we're going to be surprised, right? At AAC Hoops Media Day, Nay Hutton was compared to Charles Barkley by. I think Coach WNIT is realistic for this team if they mesh, right? I, well, I'll say the evidence is good at this point, and I would be remiss if I didn't mention another freshman who kind of comes in to give give the guards a rest in Sierra Sierra Godbolt. She's she's uh, shown her own toughness at right when she's seen time on the floor herself. Yeah, I think the perception is that the cover is bare because everybody went to Athens. The Bloody office staff left with the coach for goodness' sake, Elo. Correct, but <laughs> there is. It's not all cover bear. There are some re remaining talent, like a Destiny Thomas, among others, that come back. Plus, you added some people from the portal. I don't. I, I think this team's a little better. I'm not saying that I don't think they're a conference championship team per se right now. Maybe they can grow into that. We'll see. But I, I, I think if again, I'm, I'm going to go back to it. If this roster fits, because remember, you have a certain group of players that came to play for Coach Abe under a completely different system. How do right. they adapt to the new system? Then you have these players that are playing under the current system. How do they mesh? You know, if they win, things go well. If they lose, how do they handle that? If they handle it well, I think they could be okay, and I think they could be a top-half league team in the American and possibly get into the WNIT. If they don't fit, then, you know, it's a rebuilding year. Uh, that's what would have made this Mercer game fun to watch is yeah. we would have seen some of that, I think. But, yeah, I, I, I'm totally with your point on that, too. I think this is a group that it may not be as tough as Abe's team, but again, that's a squad that gave Gino Gino Oriema a life-changing experience at the tournament last year. This is a different group. Will it leave Gino whining at the mic when they play UConn? If they play UConn, probably not. Is this a group that can get past USF? We don't know yet, um, because again, they've been physically imposing their will on their opponents thus far. Right. This team's got a little more perimeter. Uh, they believe with Ranky and company and, and Hardy, they can shoot more from the perimeter, totally mm -hmm. different style. They play more man-to-man, -man, although they will mix it up with the zone. Uh, I know she wasn't happy with how they, you know, they handled Winthrop's zone. Uh, we'll see. I, I, I think everybody's kind of like wait and see, right? But I think, I think there's upside here. It would not shock me if this team finished in the top half of the league in WNIT like it would with a lot of people. Because I think a lot of people just assume like, hey, this team has nobody left. And, you know, they're going to struggle. Not necessarily. Well, I'll make this last point. The cupboard was bare for all we knew because we didn't know Destiny Thomas's status. status she right. did decide to stay. So for all intents and purposes, she had left the cupboard as well. But with Destiny coming back and give Satya Messer credit on a short on a short window of time. Think like Gus Malzahn did when he came in. Restock this cupboard with some quality groceries to do some cooking. Wow, cooking. There you go. Good word there. Uh, that's Kyle Nash. Kyle, tell the audience where they can find you, what you got working on. Hey, listen, honor, joy, and privilege, folks. I'm looking forward, actually, to focus on football this weekend with that two-lane game. Looking forward to the night shift. See if I can get in there and, you know, drag uh, Drew Glucove out of the negativity pool there. Uh, granted, he may be opting to work on the uh, knee-jerk reaction, which you should all check out on the Black and Gold Banner at .com once it goes up shortly after the game and you know mixing up with you and bryson uh after the uh, after that game i think will be fun and we can either lament i can save you from canceling the program elo or i can celebrate with the concept that 
conference championship became a very real possibility. That is how important the game this weekend is. Find me on Twitter at BSOTG and Instagram as the same. Also, Black and Gold Banner Red on, on Instagram. Follow that as well. And, of course, subscribe to the YouTube channel if you aren't already because that'll be a good time there, too. A lot of post-game action and weekly presser action that Bryson Turner and I and others contribute. You'll also be at the Florida State game Friday night. I will uh, be at the Florida State game Friday night. How could I forget? You'll find stuff there uh, after that game on the YouTube page and on blackandgoldmanorette.com as well. Thank you, Elo, for allowing me to plug that. I will be there as well. I was planning on being with you, but uh, I've been called to fill in for the great Mark Daniels. We'll be in with football. So I will be on the radio side on 96.9 with Taylor Young calling the men's basketball game. Go net, go easy on me, guys. Go easy on hey, me. Hey, listen, you're an award-winning guy. You're going to be fine, Elo. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> You can also watch it on ESPN Plus with Austin Lyon and Michael Donald as well. So a lot of great options uh, for that UCF Florida State basketball game. Why would, I do, why would I could hear you? Hello. That's fine. Thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, thank you, Kyle, for the kind words. Uh, when we come back, we'll talk women's soccer making the NCAA tournament. Why didn't they host? I have the answer to that. Plus, Kyle mentioned about Cynthia Metzer bringing in talent. You Cindy Balmalov bringing some talent over, baby. Wait till you hear what she got in her signing class ranking. That's all coming up on this edition of the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. And welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Uh, of course, big news, UCF Women's Soccer on Monday found out they will be in the NCAA tournament. They will be going to Raleigh to take on North Carolina State. NC State is the eighth seed in the region. Now, this year, in women's soccer, they seeded 32 teams in regions one through eight. And uh, UCF was placed with NC State with the winner of that game to play, likely UCLA, who's the top seed in that bracket, uh, portion of the bracket. For UCF, it's the first time that since 2017 they are in the NCAA tournament, fresh off winning the American regular season championship, and then uh, P- losing in PKs to Memphis, which officially goes as a draw. UCF got in, was one of the last teams announced because they were one of the last brackets announced. It got a little nervous at the uh, watch party there as I was there covering it. And you wondered at times, like, boy, what's going on here? Uh, there were some expectations to host UCF's RPI was 22. Uh, they did not get to host. Uh, they get instead sent on the road. Still big accomplishment to make the tournament. And... Following the selection show, myself alongside our good friend Trace Troco from Sons of UCF Live host, uh, got a chance to talk to Coach Zahadak for her reaction on the team, on the bracket, and this upcoming season. I'm thrilled. Uh, you know, this team worked really hard, um, and we were all just waiting to hear our name get called out, and uh, it happened. It made us sweat it out a little bit there. To the last page. I was getting a little nervous, but, you know, RPI of 22, we felt good about our chances, and uh, it's well-deserved, and the team deserves it. What do you think of the matchup just upon initial glance? Yeah, of course, I haven't done a scouting report on NC State yet, but... Um, you know, initial thought is that it, uh, we're traveling to a place that's very easy, so headed to Raleigh. We're, Tim and I are very familiar with Raleigh, but we were in Chapel Hill earlier this year, so a quick, direct flight, so I don't think travel will be too too tough. And like I said, the, the players are familiar with the area, so I think travel should be easy. And then NC State, obviously, they're a great team, but we're, we're ready to play them. Take me through the process as the selection show is unfolding. It's unique this year because they're seating 32 teams. Uh, so what's going through your mind as each bracket comes out? I mean, my hope, to be honest, was that I 
I thought we were going to get seated. Um, I think we were, you know, deserved to be seated, but it doesn't always go that way. And I'm just glad that we're in the tournament and we got in that large bid. But um, so it was a little nerve wracking when, you know, places were getting taken. But uh, but like I said, we're just we're happy. We're thrilled. Uh, we've got nothing to lose. That's our mentality. You know, we've made it this far. We've done all the hard work, and now we just we're going to fly. You said you thought you deserved to host. The resume was there, right? I think our resume was there. Um, and having an RPI 22 historically, that gets you a, a seed. So I was really hoping we can host. Love to play in front of our home fans. But, you know, it is what it is. And I'm just happy that we're in. And we're going to take any opponent that we get. It doesn't matter where we are in the country. We're going to get after it. What does it mean to get back in the tournament? It's been since 2017, especially yeah. for the seniors like Caroline and yeah. Kristen and the rest of the senior group. It was so important for us, like Tim and I and our coaching staff, to give the seniors an opportunity and have that uh, feeling and that experience of, of having a real postseason and getting to the NCAA tournament. They've developed so well over the years, and they've stuck with us through the years, and um, they just deserve it so much. So we didn't want we wanted nothing more than to have them have that like experience and that opportunity. So we're just thrilled for the seniors. It's a couple days after a tough loss. What's those days been like uh, with your team? Coming off a penalty. Well, first we're counting it as a tie because technically we tied. Uh, but a penalty kick, you know, shootout loss, I mean, it can go either way. It's like tossing up. Uh, we, we feel like as a coaching staff and the team feels we prepared for penalty kicks. And, you know, it didn't go our way. And it was still a tough uh, feeling and a tough loss and penalty kick shootout because we were at home and we saw ourselves celebrating, you know, on, at a championship on our home field. But I think that's part of the journey, and um, the team has dealt with it. We had a couple days off just to, you know, mentally give ourselves a break, physically give ourselves a break, and we got back together on Sunday, had a great vibe on Sunday, and then training today, like I said, we were flying, and everyone's just excited, and we're just going to go forward. No one likes the taste of that, so that's motivating in and of itself, isn't it, for your players? Yeah, I mean, no one, no one likes to lose the penalty kicks, and that's always hard to swallow, but like I said, we've got big goals, so you just have to pick yourself back up, roll your sleeves back up, and get focused, and now that we know who our opponent is, um, we can focus even more. Jimmy, this this year for you, it's been unique. We've talked about it, how you've been involved with the U.S. national team. You helped them qualify for the World Cup and the Olympics. You're balancing that with coaching this team. Tim obviously has filled in. What does this mean for you when you look back on this? I know you're not thinking about that, but this is one like you're going to be talking about for years to come, I would imagine. This is, you said it, like a very unique season for us, and especially for me and Tim and uh, me being away with the national team, like you mentioned. Um, but the team is so resilient, and they're so supportive. And, you know, we had experienced this situation in the spring. Obviously, it was in our competitive season, but I left a lot in the spring to be with the national team, and we prepared for that for the fall last spring. And um, obviously, the team is in great hands when I'm not there, and just proves it. This team had a great record while I was gone. Part of me said, maybe I shouldn't come back. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, but yeah, the team's so resilient and so supportive and uh, very trustworthy, and they're trusting of us. So it's just a great vibe and a great team, and I'm just really I – I keep saying it, but I'm just so proud of the, of the group. That was head coach Tiffany Roberts-Sahadak uh, Monday following the selection show. Thanks to Trace, by the way, who provided the audio on that. Uh, on that one, talking to Coach Sahadak afterwards as well. as uh, We both got to talk to her. And, look, obviously – couple things there. Let's talk about, obviously, they're not seated, even though they had an RPI of 22. Why were they not seated? So I decided to kind of look into it. 
there were four teams this year. Again, this is the first year that women's soccer seeded top 32 teams. Volleyball will be doing the same thing as an experiment. They will seed 32 teams. There were four teams in the top 32 RPI that did not get a seed. UCF at 22, Xavier at 25, Brown at 28, and Arizona State at 32. The teams that did get a seed, LSU at 33 RPI, uh, Portland at 41 in the RPI, Mississippi State 34 in the RPI, and NC State, UCF's opponent, with a 39 RPI. So why why did those four get to ho- get a seed, which means they host the first round and you see teams like UCF did not? Well, one of the things I noticed is the committee it looked like rewarded teams for top 25 and or top 50 RPI wins. For example, LSU went uh one three and three against the top 50. They went one five and six against top 50 teams, but they got the one win in the top 50. So they got the 32 seed. No questionable. Portland went one and three against the top 50. Their one win was against Utah Valley. UCF had a draw against Utah Valley. NC State went one five and two against the top 25 RPI teams. Two and then three eleven and four overall against the top 50 so they got the benefit of the doubt there uh to see to be seated in the tournament then mississippi state one and three against the top 25 rpi five and eight uh and four overall against top 50 compare that to the teams that didn't host ucf for example their final bracket oh and one against the top 25 oh one and three against the top uh 50 oh two and three excuse me in the top 50 xavier went oh and three against the top 25 oh six and two overall against the top 50 brown went oh two and two overall against the top 50 arizona state one and six arizona state was the only team that had a win against the top 50 that's in the tournament that did not host, uh, did not get a seed. So obviously the committee put a value on the top 25 and top 50 wins. The thing that hurt UCF was not necessarily the draw against Memphis uh, in the semifinal. Because again, on the record, that is a draw. That's not a loss. What hurt them was that SMU didn't win the conference championship. SMU going into the championship game against Memphis had a 41 RPI. They lost in double overtime to Memphis 1-0. That dropped Memphis all the way down to 51 in the RPI, and as a result, it cost UCF a top 50 win. I think if if UCF wins the conference tournament, do they host? Probably. If they lose to SMU or draw and lose on PKs to SMU, I think they host. If SMU beats Memphis, I think UCF hosts. The one scenario that UCF could not afford was the one that actually played out, which was that Memphis beat UCF on PKs and then beat SMU on wins in overtime to get the automatic bid. They will be going to St. Louis, by the way. So as a result, UCF lost a top 50 uh, game. And I think they it cost them a seat. I think if UCF had that top 50 win, I think they would have gotten the benefit of the doubt over Portland. Because you look at Portland, they are slated to play Alabama in the second round if they win their first round match. Now, granted, they're playing Arizona State and all that, but they would have played Alabama, the two seed. That makes a lot of sense. I think UCF would have been in that slot 
instead of Portland. I could see UCF had hosted Arizona State this weekend, perhaps. Perhaps UCF could have been in that in the LSU side, um, in that 32 side. I know there was a lot of people that thought that. There was a lot of projections that follow the sport thought that that they would be placed with FSU in the second round. It was LSU instead. I don't think the committee wanted to put UCF and LSU together because they played in the regular season in Baton Rouge that ended in a draw. And they could have been in the slot with NC State. They could have easily, maybe they flipped NC State and UCF instead NC State hosting. I think that Memphis SMU result was the difference maker there and why UCF's not hosting. The good news for UCF is this is the last year they will have to worry about this because the Big 12 is a much stronger league than the American in soccer. Really, the American was down this year. That's what hurt UCF. They're, everybody RPI-wise was down in the American. It didn't get the quality wins. But that won't be an issue in the Big 12 where you have all these opportunities for top 25, top 50 wins. That's what helped LSU. That's what helped South uh, NC State in the ACC, for example, et cetera. So I think that's, at the end of the day, what cost UCF from hosting in the first round. It is what it is. You heard Coach Sahedic's thoughts on it. They're in. They're going to play at NC State. I think that's a toss-up game on Sunday. We'll see how that goes. Could be an interesting matchup there. And if they win that, more than likely, they'll be going to Los Angeles the following weekend to take on UCLA, which would have been an incredible storyline a year ago, uh, considering Amanda Cromwell was the head coach at UCLA a year ago. That could have been a fascinating storyline. She's obviously not the head coach there anymore. But I think that could favor UCF if they get there because UCLA has a new first-year head coach. So, but we're getting far uh, ahead of ourselves. And, of course, uh, we'll see how that plays itself out. So UCF-NC State this weekend, Sunday, in Raleigh uh, for the NCAA tournament for UCF. We'll see how that goes. But really happy for Kristen Scott uh, and Daria Rajayi and the rest of the senior class and Caroline Delia to get into the NCAA tournament for the first time after winning the regular season title. Uh, really well-deserved and happy for that group and that staff. Uh, to make the tournament, of course, Coach Sahadak of busy years. I asked her there. She's the assistant coach on the U.S. national team. This past summer, they won uh, the CONCACAF uh, tournament in Mexico to qualify for next year's World Cup, as well as ne- the Olympics uh, in Paris. So and she will be the assistant on the U.S. national team on the World Cup next year. Uh, so congrats to Coach Sahadak. Of course, speaking of the World Cup, the men's announced their roster. They're going to play in a couple of weeks against Wales, November 21st. And UCF's own Sean Johnson makes the roster in a bit of a surprise. He's one of the three goalkeepers on the UC, on the U.S. national team. Uh, probably the number three goalkeeper. I don't think he'll play in the World Cup. You never know. Uh, kind of a surprise because the, the guys who didn't get picked, Zach Steffen, who had been the main starter for the U.S. national team, but uh, congrats to Sean Johnson, who I believe is the first UCF men's soccer player to play on the U.S. national team in the World Cup, or at least be on the roster. So congrats to Sean Johnson, who's had a great, really, last few years. Won the MLS Cup uh, last year with New York City FC, was the MVP this year, I think was regarded as the best goalkeeper in the MLS. Got into the semifinals this year before losing to Philadelphia. So congrats to Sean Johnson on that. Uh, volleyball. Volleyball knocked off South Florida in straight sets. They go uh, on Wednesday night in Tampa. It's their final meeting as conference uh, teams. UCF goes uh, now 20-0. and 0. Uh, They went 20 straight uh, against South Florida. They never lost to the Bulls during American Athletic Conference play during the decade run. UCF improves to 22-1 and 1 overall on the season. They're in the trying to get themselves in the mix to host themselves. They had an RPI as of Monday to 14, dropped to 16 after the South Florida win, but they're in the mix. 
to host. And they're also in the mix for the conference championship. They're one back of Houston, who's undefeated. And you look at right now the, the, the hosting situation for volleyball. I think there's about 13 teams that are pretty much locks to host. And I think there's three spots available among these teams. Creighton and Marquette from the Big East. UCF and Houston from the American. Rice from Conference USA. USC from the Pac-12, Georgia Tech from the ACC, I think are the teams that make UCF got some help last weekend with Georgia Tech losing to Miami. Miami was a team UCF beat, so that helped UCF's resume and moved them up in the RPI rankings there. But I think those teams, you could throw in Penn State as well. I think all those teams are in the mix for three spots to host in the next couple of weeks. UCF will host Cincinnati this Sunday at home. Then they go on the road, they have Temple and ECU. That's not going to help their resume. And then Come back home for Tulane, and then the big one on Black Friday against Houston, which could have massive ramifications, a conference championship, hosting uh, uh, ramifications, national seeds, uh, a bunch of them all available there. UCF uh, ranked 24th, by the way, in the AVCA poll, Houston 23rd. But keep that in mind. You're probably anti-Creighton, Marquette, Rice, Georgia Tech, USC, Penn State if you're a UCF. Uh, and you need Miami to keep winning. You need SMU to keep winning. It wouldn't be the worst thing if SMU were to knock off UC, uh, Houston here down the road there and maybe help UCF's resume after UCF's win arrest, two wins over SMU this season. So McKenna Melville is eight kills away now from 14th place all time in NCAA volleyball history in kills. She reached 2,400 in the victory over Memphis on Sunday. And then finally, big signing day in softball. UCF ranked 16th best signing class, according to X Rating Softball on Wednesday. Back to back top 25 signing classes for Sydney Ball Malone. The Knights rolling, continuing that momentum, that wave from their incredible 2022 season with back to back top 25 classes. 16th best class, numerous talented players on that, on that roster, on that class that uh, they will report in the fall of 23. They will be part of UCF's first team. Uh, first season in the Big 12. Coach Paul Malone, though, already building young talent to go uh, with back-to-back top 25 classes. And, uh, oh, by the way, they still got to get some returners coming back for this upcoming season as they try to end the American with going a second straight conference championship and uh, great talented players coming back. But, man, recruiting, they're knocking it out of the park. And you could argue right now that on campus, Gus Malzahn and Sidney Paul Malone might be the top recruits uh, among all the programs as far as getting them ready for the Big 12. They, uh, they're both doing a pretty good job recruiting-wise. So congrats to softball on that. Well, we've run out of time on this edition of the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. Thanks to Kyle Nash for joining us on the show. Uh, making sure you keep it on blackandgoldbanneret.com for all the latest. We'll preview the Tulane game, big one. We'll recap the Florida State basketball game as much more. We'll have night shift following the Tulane game on Saturday, probably around 7-ish o'clock eastern we'll follow the women's soccer game against nc state as well as volleyball we cover all ucf athletics here on the black and go banneret.com make sure you subscribe to their youtube channel as well as on our twitter and facebook pages and of course subscribe to our podcast leave us a five-star review give us some nice comments will you that will help us out a lot uh, as well so uh for the step for the whole everybody uh black and banneret eric lopez saying so long we hope you've enjoyed this edition Black and Gold Banneret Podcast.